As Backyard Stories is put on hold for the time being, and while we're all self-isolating, I thought it would be nice for some familiar voices to share some stories centred around the theme nostalgia. This is Backyard Stories, the Inside Edition. Letter to a woman who changed my life. Dear Mum, it's been five years since I've written, so it's hard to know where to start. Bob Dylan just won a Nobel Prize. You'd have a field day cutting out newspaper articles for me. But closer to home, Henry Joe is 14 and slightly taller than I am. He skates and speaks in riddles with mates he calls the homies. He can sing Gold Digger and twist and shout word perfect. Lola is 18. That hilarious little girl with the squeaky voice is now deep in the shadowy world of VCE exams, but she's handled the year magnificently and we're so proud of her. And Claudia, your first grandchild. She's 22, working in New York. She's done a few graveyard shifts at Triple R and sounds so great on the radio. One night she played Towns Van Zandt. Remember that song, To Live Is To Fly, that I put on a cassette for you? along with Ella Fitzgerald and Aretha Franklin? Probably not, but that's okay. Sue is still making films, organising our family lives and keeping it real. Oh, and how could I forget Jerry, who you haven't met? He's our dog, a big fluffy ball of pure slapstick joy who would have loved you. He's so smart, I reckon he'll start speaking any day now. You were always interested in every tiny detail of our lives. We miss your letters and cards acknowledging birthdays, special events and the tiniest of achievements. There are people all over the world probably still waiting, still hoping for one of your hand-designed, bespoke, before it was fashionable, cards to arrive. I remember your notebooks filled with little sayings or rhymes or poems. My favourite was the poem you remembered from your childhood in Brisbane. You couldn't quite remember the whole poem, so we searched the internet Well, I searched. You suggested I look in our world book encyclopedias. And we wrote out the poem together. But oh, for the touch of a vanished hand and the sound of a voice that is still. Break, break, break at the foot of thy crags, O sea. But the tender grace of a day that is dead will never come back to me. How perfect for you to read this at Dad's funeral. You, who never spoke in public, who was always in his shadow, nervously reading it with shaking hands for your beloved Jack. Did I tell you that you did a great job? Maybe, Mum, I should have read that poem for you at your funeral. But that week of your passing was so strange and overwhelming and so sad. The day you died is imprinted on my mind forever. You woke early on that Sunday and told the nurse you were dying. He called Ross and I and we both drove to the nursing home from Blackburn and from St Kilda through a thick blanket of fog. We sat with you, each side of the bed, holding your hands and trying to distract you from that terrible pain. You couldn't get comfortable. You cried out. You called for Jack, asked why God wasn't helping and asked me if I thought you were going to die. I didn't know how to answer that question. I was scared and sad. A doctor arrived, agreed you needed morphine, and I was relieved. 
until he explained that this would be the beginning of your end. After the injection, you began to relax a little, and by the time Sue, Claudia, Lola and Henry Joe arrived, and then Ross's Jill and John, you greeted them with bright eyes and a smile, laying back in the pillows and delighting in their kisses and stories, even directing them towards your extensive stash of chocolate treats. You gripped my hand and breathed deeply, worrying that I'd come in without breakfast or a shower or a cup of tea, and you offered me shortbread and cheesy biscuits from a plastic takeaway container. I was so proud of you, Mum, amazed at your lifelong dedication to humanity. You always put yourself last, even while you were dying. I thought about the way the staff loved you. You knew their names, their husbands' names, the wives' names, their birthdays. If you could have whipped up a tuna casserole, shown me a newspaper clipping about Bob Dylan, or knitted a tea-cosy beret, you would have done it, right there and then. But you'd run out of puff. The nurses told us they needed to reorganise your bedding, and we were ushered out of your room to wait in the corridor. We all stood awkwardly, in silence. Within minutes we were called urgently back in. You were on your side now, softly speaking words that made no sense, curled up, tiny, bird-like and staring past us into the distance. I remember the children moved in and out of the room, shocked at what they were witnessing. I stroked your head and told you I loved you. You passed away just before midday, with all of us crowded around. The sun broke through the fog and shone in on you, shrunken in that narrow bed. I looked around at the photos and the drawings on the walls, the flowers on the windowsill, letters and notes on your bedside table, chocolates hidden all over the room, little surprises everywhere. The nursing home cleaner waltzed into the room, whistling and twirling her broom for the children, and then stopped in her tracks when she realised what was happening. She burst into tears and threw herself on your body. Oh no, no, no! I loved her. I loved her. Everyone loved you, Mum. And a week later, most of them came to your funeral. The church was packed. Ross and I both spoke, and Deanna. Then Leslie sang a hymn I didn't know, using notes I'm not sure even exist. She really let rip, with half the room in awe of her vocal gymnastics, and the other half squirming in the pews and trying not to look at each other. I reckon you would have loved it when the grandchildren read from that book of lists Sue gave you for Christmas. You and the kids had filled in blank pages with headings at the top of each page. Cities I have visited, houses I have lived in, etc. Claudia read from Jobs I've Had, John read from Childhood Toys, and Lola read Things People Might Not Know About Me and broke down crying when you said that after visiting you in Brisbane, Dad wrote to his mother, saying he'd just met the woman he would marry. Lola tried so hard to keep it together, but kept crying. Claudia stepped in, but she broke down too, crying and laughing. Up steps handsome cousin John, who grabbed the book and said, Don't worry, I'll take over, and read the whole story, his voice just faltering at the end. Henry Joe was last, reading from My Pet Dislikes. With gusto, he read four things that really annoyed you. Stupid advertisements on TV, 
stupid animated animals in advertisements on TV, that woman with the annoying haircut on the ABC's collectors, and the fake laughter on Spicks and Specks. It was a beautiful service, Mum. I love a good funeral. That's something we shared. And yours was a Bobby Dazzler. After we put you into the hearse and you were driven away, the ladies of the friendship group presented an excellent spread in the old church hall. Wheat tea, strong coffee, cordial, sandwiches and homemade sausage rolls. It was strange being there without you. I kept thinking I saw you out of the corner of my eye. I missed your chocolate crackles and I missed you whispering names under your breath to jog my memory. Gwen Charlesworth. Heather and Stan Kings, Edna Jungworth. But you were there, Mum. You were in my heart, and you always will be. You're also in a small cardboard box on my desk where I'm writing this letter. A small cardboard box that you kept the housekeeping money in. A small box that Sue keeps going to chuck in the bin until she realises it holds bits of you that I kept when I was supposed to sprinkle you on those azaleas. Mum, I want to tell you more about my Sue, about how much she means to me, how much she's changed my life too, but I'll save that for my next letter. Until then, much love, Brian.